passage in particular speaks to us when we slip into the complacency that says things like, sure, I wouldn't mind my life getting a little better. I mean, after all, isn't that what it's about? I get a little better every, every day. I guess I'll take a little more of this wisdom stuff so I can play the game of life a little better, have a little more success, because that's what it seems to promise. But the Bible is saying this, this kind of attitude will actually destroy you. It's, it's too shallow. Now is the time for you to turn a corner because you are on a dangerous path. There is a storm coming and you are not prepared for it. It's a wake-up call. And so our text reveals that avoiding wisdom is very dangerous. This is a dangerous situation. That is why wisdom says in verse 22, we can hear the urgency in her voice. She says, how long, uncommitted ones, you simple ones, will you love being simple and uncommitted? You can hear the exasperation in her voice. How long will you keep rejecting me? You're killing yourselves. This is the path of destruction. So we don't have to tell ourselves rashly and out loud, I hate wisdom, to suffer the consequences of this. It doesn't have to be that explicit. We only have to be okay with the way we are. To be passive, to be apathetic, to be laissez-faire, lacking zeal and tenacity and fight. We just need to be the kind of person that is completely satisfied with the status quo. Just, here I am. I'm just happy to be here. Now, this kind of person is what Proverbs calls the simple. The morally lazy and spiritually uncommitted. It doesn't have anything to do with IQ. The morally lazy and spiritually uncommitted. That's who the simple is. And a quick note on terminology. We get various terms like scoffer, mocker, fool. Various translations use a few different terms in Proverbs here in our passage. So the scoffers or the mockers and the fools and the rest of verse 22 are really more advanced cases of the simple person. They're more hardened in their hearts than, than the merely simple. A scoffer is an aggressive, confident, calculating person. He's often outwardly impressive. He's often successful, but he will slit your throat at the drop of a hat. That's the scoffer. Scoffers delight themselves with scoffing and mocking God. They love that activity. The word delight here carries the more literal sense of covet. They even covet that. There's a strong craving in the scoffer for mocking because smug fools hate God's knowledge. They hate it with a passion. And their love is to, is to mock God's love. A fool, by contrast to this, in Proverbs is like a thick-headed, stubborn dolt. Okay? That's, the, that's the concept of the fool here. He just simply won't listen to instruction. He's not the scoffer. Right? He's less hardened than the scoffer, but he's really stubborn. Hard to get to. He just will not listen. He always knows better. He always has an excuse for why he's not doing the right thing. Nothing is ever his fault. You know anybody like that? Your parents ever said anything like that about you? Maybe. Both the scoffer and the fool, though, in their... Like that is what defines ultimately their character. They are in for complete disaster, is what the Proverbs warn us. This is not just a matter of who's on top, but rather who's alive and who's dead. This is a matter of life and death. So the simple, however, here's the thing about the simple. They are uncommitted. They don't really know what they're living for. They tend to go with the flow and just conform to whatever's around them. But the simple still have a chance. See, that's the thing. The simple still have a chance to turn. Hence the urgency of wisdom's call. She's calling to the simple. Why? 
Because they're the ones who still have a chance. They can turn. They might yet respond to Lady Wisdom and her call. That's why she's calling them. But they have to make up their minds. The problem is they just don't feel strongly either way. They're happy to ride the fence. They do not live with a sense of urgency about these matters. And so when Lady Wisdom cries out, how long, she's saying, in effect, how many sermons, how many talks is it going to take before you're going to start down this new path? Are you going to be the fool? Are you going to be even the scoffer? Are you going to reject this? Or are you going to listen and, and come my way? How many warnings do you need? And so the situ- situation here reminds me of uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Um, many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress, I imagine. You're familiar with that, okay? Uh, the Great Christian Allegory. So you remember Christian having recently had his burden of sin gloriously removed at the hill of the cross, that beautiful scene in the, in the story. He encounters immediately after that three men fast asleep. You know their names? The three men sleeping around the tree. Some of you remember re- reading that Erdman's edition of the illustrated version of this as a kid, which is it's great. Simple, sloth, and presumption. presumption. There you go. Good. And they have fetters on their heels, right? And the story goes, Christian then seeing them lie in this, this, uh, in this case, went to them, if perchance he might wake them up. And he cried, you are like them that sleep on top of a mast, the ship's mast. For the Dead Sea is under you, a gulf that has no bottom. Awake, therefore, and come away. Be willing also, and I will help you off with your irons. And then he also told, told them, if he, if he that goes about like a roaring lion comes by, you will certainly become prey to his teeth. You're chained, you're asleep and chained uh, here on the ground. With that, they looked upon him and began to reply in this sort. Simple said, I see no danger. Sloth said, get a little more sleep. And presumption said, every vat must stand upon its own bottom. I wish I had a good British accent. I could say that correctly. Uh, do we, do is, we know anybody who could do that? I don't know. What is the answer else that I should give you, he says to Christian. And so they lay down to sleep again, and then Christian goes on his way. Yet he was troubled, Christian was troubled, to think that men in such danger should so little esteem the kindness of them that so freely offered to help them, both by awakening them, counseling them, and proffering to help them off of their irons. Now their names obviously reveal their error, simple, sloth, and presumption. That's who they are, right? That's the beauty of this allegory. It's so simple to make the connection. These men who had started on the way to the celestial city and noticed their location, they are past the cross, not before it, past the cross, they, they started to the celestial city as pilgrims, even had made their journey as far as the cross, and now were turned aside in bondage and slumber on their journey. That they are fettered shows that they had never really cast off their affections for self, for sin, for the world. Though they may have once made a show of their profession as pilgrims, they remain still in grave danger of being brought down into destruction in their chains. That they are sleeping shows that they are unaware, have no abiding interest in their predicament, and in fact, have grown rather comfortable in their complacency. They're like the simple in Proverbs. And Bunyan describes the resting place of these men as at the bottom and out of the way. They are no longer walking on high ground where they can see clearly the path and keep the way. 
They have wandered down out of sight of the cross. They have distanced themselves from the Lord and His Word and have found a false refuge in which to escape the hardships and discomforts of the way. But actually, interestingly in the story, these three men are only a little bit out of the way. They're not far. But they are far enough out of the way to be in grave danger. It doesn't take long. They're not far, and in fact, in the near they're in the near vicinity of the cross still, even in their chains. And perhaps they've even made an emotional profession of the cross, and now believing that their decisions were sufficient for all the rest, have settled down in vain hope just to await the final judgment and enter into the celestial city. But despite their nearness to the gospel, they remain out of the way. That's the irony of it here. In bondage and in danger of destruction. It is not making a good start in religion. It's not being coddled by the proximity of religion. It's not a feeling in the heart, but it's true perseverance and faith that counts in the end. It's, that's what proves and tests your faith. And so upon seeing these would-be pilgrims in such delusion and danger, Christian, like Lady Wisdom in our text, comes to their aid. He shakes them and attempts to rouse them from their slumber, attempts to warn them of the dangers that befall them comparing their conduct to the drunkard that's actually described later in Proverbs. Proverbs 23. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, or like the one who lies at the top of the mast, saying, they have struck me, struck me, but I am not hurt. I can't feel anything. I'm drunk. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? That's what Christian tells them. That's the verse he quotes to them. And then he continues to apply the scriptures to them, even from 1 Peter which says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so he further had tried to help them with their irons, but doubtless the remembrance of his own burden was uh, in his mind that encumbered him so much. He was wanting to help someone else in that same way, but these men wanted no help. They were, in fact, content to send Christian on his way and settle back down for more sleep. And so these pretenders to the faith are no strangers to the people of God. This is the sobering thing about it. Simple sloth and presumption can be found in abundance in the church. We are often guilty of these things ourselves. And we should it should give us sober pause to do some self-reflection on this. Uh, how, how much do I see myself in these characters? To what degree am I the simple that wisdom is calling to? And so in our text, these simple, uncommitted ones, I'm tying it together here just for, for tonight, these simple, uncommitted ones are lumped together with fools and scoffers. This tells us and reminds us that we're not out of the woods yet in this sense. We still have maturing to do. We cannot assume because we are in the church. We have faith. And these are glorious gifts, right? Um, there is the tension of also we have been called to maturity. We have been called to advancement in our faith. Um, the Westminster Confession talks about improving our, on our baptism. Right? There is work to do. We have places to go. So if we're going to live in this world, we cannot be complacent and say that, well, you know, we go to church. Uh, we're a member of that church over there, and that's a good Bible-believing church. And I go every Sunday with my family. We're good. It can't be the definition we have of our own lives in this world. These simple ones are fools and will face the punishment of fools along with the scoffer if they do not heed wisdom's call. 
And one must make a decision to be wise or remain a fool. There is no safe, neutral ground here. That's what wisdom's call is in this passage. Apathy reinforces it does not constrain the unbelieving consensus. It reinforces it does not constrain the unbelieving consensus. As long as the simple, uncommitted ones identify with fools, they will continue to degrade into this process of hardening, which eventually ends in, in scoffing. So there's a danger. There's a slippery slope danger going on here that we have to be aware of. And wisdom reminds us of this. It, it culminates in hating and mocking God and his wisdom. And so this is where the simple are headed if they do not get serious about wisdom's call to action. Okay, that's kind of heavy, but that's serious, and that's serious, but that is exactly what wisdom is calling and warning us here, warning us. Uh, and the theme of the camp is in the world but not of it. As we live in this world, we have to recognize the dangers that we face with complacency. And it's something I think all of us are, none of us are immune to this, right? We all have temptations to complacency, to apathy, uh, to, uh, to shrug our shoulders and go, man, that's okay, it's fine, I'll do that tomorrow, right? Uh, we need to be careful. Now, at the same time, we don't pull ourselves up by our own spiritual bootstraps. The Holy Spirit's work in our lives is necessary, right? But there, there lies attention, justification, sanctification, right? Those come together. And wisdom is calling us to action here. Now, this isn't the end of the story. We have more to say about this text, and we'll wait until tomorrow evening to do that. But this is the beginning of our conversation about this. So I hope you take something from this, grab onto this, and hold on to it until tomorrow. We'll, we'll continue. All right, let's pray. Oh God, we are struck by the urgency with which you call us to wisdom and maturity in your word. And we are also struck with the grace that you extend toward us. That through our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the full embodiment of your wisdom, you have saved us from ourselves and have set us on the path of righteousness. And so may we hear afresh and respond to your call with all diligence and readiness of heart. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Amen.